This episode of the Holly Fueled Nutrition Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. To get 10% off your first month of therapy, visit the link in the show notes, which is betterhelp.com slash hollyfueled. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash H-O-L-L-E-Y-F-U-E-L-E-D. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast. I am your host, Holly Samuel. I'm a registered dietitian, a certified personal trainer, and your podcast host today. Um, I'm really excited for today's episode. I think it will probably apply to feelings and emotions a lot of people have experienced um, before you were an athlete, as an athlete. Um, this is stuff I talk about, I mean, every single day with my clients. So let's kind of introduce our guest. Our guest today is Rachel Egan. She is a nurse practitioner at um, her private practice, Harborside Psych, which is located in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Um, She also has several other clinical roles as well that I will let her introduce when we get her on the on the episode. Um, But she is going to help us talk about body image today. And this is a big topic. So I felt like we could have talked for five more hours and taken some deeper dives on some of these things. Because again, I think a lot of this information is the most helpful when it's just repeated. Um, Because I know a lot of us are trying to work on body image are trying to work on our self esteem. And we know that it's not, you know, a one podcast overnight fix. Um, so I'm really excited to welcome Rachel to the show. Um, just as a disclaimer, obviously, this is meant for general educational purposes only. This is not a replacement for working with a physician or a dietitian or getting individualized medical advice, although I still think you will find this episode very helpful. Rachel's audio is very quiet. I'm not honestly sure why I did try to pump up the volume a little bit. I didn't notice that she was quiet when we were recording. She sounded great. She had help getting hooked up to like all these mics and she looked very official with her audio. So I'm not super sure why it's so quiet. Um, So hopefully that's not too distracting in the episode because it certainly shouldn't take away from how great she is and her expertise. But without further ado, let's dive into today's episode on body image for athletes. I am so excited to welcome BetterHelp as a new sponsor for this podcast. Thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, all you have to do is just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's a chat, text, phone, or even a video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for some reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you can get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, (laughs) more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price, and you can do it pretty quickly. To get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash hollyfueled, visit the link in the show notes. And again, that is betterhelp, 
betterhelp.com slash H-O-L-L-E-Y-F-U-E-L-E-D. I've used BetterHelp myself. A bunch of my clients have also used it and other people that I know from my personal life. And it is such a helpful resource. So if you have ever thought about wanting to get started with therapy, the best thing you can do is to just take the plunge, get started, book the appointment, and start getting some help today. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, Rachel, and welcome to the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast. I am so excited to be chatting with you on the show today. I know we've chatted in a couple other places, but it's really good to, to see you, and I'm excited for today. Yes, me too, Holly. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. I haven't, I haven't talked about just like body image on the podcast in a while, even though I feel like I talk about it all day, every day, uh, in my, in my line of work. So seemed super fitting to have this on. I especially feel like, I don't know if you're feeling the same way, but right now it's going to be summer soon. And I feel like there's a lot of talk around, you know, wearing less clothing and, you know, workout programs for your summer body. So I feel like this will balance out some of the other messaging that might be out there. Yes, very well timed. Yeah, so could you give everyone just a little bit of background, like who is Rachel, um, where are you located, and what do you do? Yeah, so profession- So my name is Rachel Egan, and professionally I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Um, I specialize in the treatment of eating disorders. So I am, I'm an associate medical director at a group who offers various level of care treatment for eating disorders, so things like inpatient, residential, and day programming. Um, and then I also um, have a private practice where we offer therapy, dietitian, and medication management services, and everybody that works in our group um, comes with an eating disorder informed lens. So that's primarily what we're treating among other things and some comorbidities. Um, but absolutely working with athletes around some of these concerns, body image and fueling is a huge passion of mine. Um, I am also a, a lifelong athlete myself and my connection to sports has always been a really important part of, of my, me and how I think about the world and go through life. So working with athletes is absolutely something I really enjoy. Yeah, I love that. I think um, when I've worked with clients in the past, that's always something that I know people appreciate is when they're able to work with a provider who can kind of like relate a little bit to like the athlete side of things, because a lot of the times with, you know, recovery, it can really be like absolutely no athletics, no sports. And sometimes that's appropriate. And sometimes that's absolutely earth shattering, you know, to someone. Um, so I'm sure that your patients and clientele really appreciate that background. Yeah, thanks. And I know you navigate that too, when you're seeing signs that someone is under fueling and showing some of those concerning signs nutritionally, and you might have to ask them to back down or step away from their sport. Um, it's definitely one of the hardest conversations I have. And we talk a lot about with eating disorder treatment, you know, having a reason to recover and a reason to like a motivation to aim for. And if we're, if we're talking about taking away something that 
you're so passionate about it can be hard to to feel like there's a clear goal or what am I really working towards um so we really try to balance that conversation and a lot of what I'm trying to do now is can we recognize some of these things earlier before we're having athletes come in the door who are now so compromised and so physically sick and so mentally caught um that they do have to step away like what can we do to help everybody that works with athletes recognize some of these signs early so we can dive in before we have to ask them to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, um, there's been more like professional athletes going through treatment too, who have been talking about that side of it. And it's really, I think inspiring. I know a lot of my clients like look up to them and bring them up to kind of see them return to sport successfully. So that's huge. Um, well, what made you want to pursue like a career in this field? Um, can you, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that and like your athletic background too? Cause I'm sure people would appreciate that. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I grew up doing a lot of team sports. Um, I did do cross country as well. So, uh, but team sports were really a huge part of my life, uh, from as early as I can remember. And I definitely saw some of my teammates struggling with disordered eating. And when I reflect on it now, I remember like the adults in the, in my our lives, not really knowing what to do or how to help. Um, and I think that's now me looking back on it. I'm not sure how much I connected with that at the time, but I know that when I got to school and started pursuing, like looking into psychology and getting really interested in that, I just vividly remember that eating disorders were like one paragraph per each, like diagnostic criteria in the, in the psychology book. And we had like every other diagnosis was getting like one or two or three chapters and eating disorders was like, where the heck does this fit? And I don't know, here's a little bit of information. And I, having had my own experience and seeing how complex it was for the families and my friends that had gone through it, it was like, how could this just be one paragraph in a textbook? Um, and then similarly, even in grad school, I feel like, um, there, there just wasn't a lot of rich information. And I was, I was interested in working with folks with eating disorders. And I, I also love that it keeps the medical side of my training sharp. Cause I, I think for nurse practitioners who go into the psych psychology or psychiatry field, um, there is a risk to kind of lose some of that cool medical stuff that we all learned because you don't use it quite as much, um, in our particular field, but working with eating disorders, we're frequently drawing labs and looking at vital signs and, um, like weight data and trends. So I love that it keeps that aspect of, of stuff sharp for me. Um, and just like adding in, in my adult life, continuing with athletics. So right now I'm, um, I love triathlon. That's kind of my, my favorite thing in the world, but I'm one of the weirdos who likes the swim. The swim is completely nice. my jam. Um, my team just got back from a short course yards competition. This spring was like one of the most fun things I've done in a really long time. So I think looking at more pool competitions, um, and that's absolutely a place where people have to be in swimsuits. We see a lot of people run into those body image concerns. So it's ever present in my world. Totally, totally. Like across the board too. I know a lot of the times we talk about disordered eating and eating disorders and female athletes, and it's definitely prevalent, but I wish more of the guys would talk about it so that they could yes. like put it on the table because they also have to be in a swimsuit in a triathlon. And they also are wearing like little running kits. Um, 
you know, and that kind of thing. And there's always that messaging about lighter being faster and it definitely applies to men too. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you know how men are pretty underrepresented in terms of people who are likely to reach out and seek treatment and get treatment and that they're, they do tend to be sicker when they do come into eating disorder treatment because they've waited longer. Um, and I think we're doing a better job raising eating disorder awareness. I, I still think we're lagging for, for males. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever I see like a professional male athlete, like come out and speak about their experience with like reds or disordered eating or eating disorders, which I'm not like happy for them that they have to speak out um, and get treatment, but I'm happy that they're at least talking about it. Cause I do, I think it's so much rarer to see that being spoken about from that population. Um, yeah, I know my male clients appreciate it when they do. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, that's cool that you love triathlon. That's and very cool that you love the swim. Cause yeah, that's definitely, I talked to a lot of runners who are like, I like to do triathlon because there's running in the triathlon world. <laughs> um, so you rarely hear about someone who likes to swim. So that's, I love that. Um, so, I mean, to kind of talk about like this, you know, to get this conversation started about like body image, I think it might be helpful to kind of define body image. <laughs> um, like what do we mean when we're talking about body image itself and why is it important? Like in the context of our health? Yeah. So I I'd love to hear your thoughts too, but so the way I think about body image is, you know, on the day to day, how do we perceive ourselves in our body and how do we think about like, what do we think about that in a, in a way that's positive or a way that's negative, or are we neutral about how we see ourselves in our bodies? Um, and how do we, how do we experience our like physical connectedness to our bodies? So not necessarily just looking in the mirror and experiencing our bodies visually, but how are we experiencing our bodies sitting in our chairs or moving our bodies around? Like, how are we thinking about that? Um, as we go through our days. And it's something that we're, of course, constantly getting feedback, like we are always in our bodies. So um, every, every single little thought that we have throughout the day, um, that we that that feedback that we get from our body is going to shape our body image. So it's a it's a summation of all the sensations that we get from our body. And then the the value that we put on that. So whether that's positive, negative, or neutral. Totally. Yeah. I, um, in my runner roadmap course, um, I do like a body image module and I can't remember exactly what the sources are, but on one of the first like slides, I put like three different definitions from three different sources of body image. And I know like um, the National Eating Disorders Association defines it just as you did, like our perceptions of self and like how that influences our daily thoughts and like actions. Um, it's very like self oriented. Um, and then I think medical today or like um, WebMD or something like that defines it as like how we perceive ourselves, which is also affected by how others perceive us, sure. um, which I think is interesting because they kind of draw in like the other aspect, which is, I think, super significant in today's society, especially when we're all connected to each other through the Internet. Um, and then I think Miriam Webster like took it even a step further and they were like how we see ourselves, how other people see ourselves in particular, what, like how we view ourselves in terms of attractiveness. Um, so they kind of even put almost like a physically attractive, like almost sexual like aspect around it. Um, which I thought was super interesting too, that there's just even like a lot of different definitions, <laughs> um, across the board. 
Yeah, and I think there's so many different 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 definitions because it's so complex. Um, like even when I was thinking about how to answer that question today, it, it's hard to even articulate what it really means. And I think so much of it relies on like when you're talking about the definition of how other people view us, I think it's not necessarily that they're those other people's genuine thoughts about our bodies affect our body image, but it's what we think they're thinking. So it mm -hmm. requires us to do some mind reading, which I am often encouraging clients to try to avoid doing, right? Cause we, we might, if we're, having a bad body image day ourselves and say we show up to the start line at a race and some runner passes you who's like completely caught up in his own race plan and is like oh my god I, I'm stressed out because I forgot my goo you might look at his expression and be like oh that guy just like totally judged my body and now that's gonna perhaps affect your body image and could even affect your race if you're um we're going to talk about like when body image becomes problematic and if, if your body image is something that's in your head when you're racing that could absolutely throw off your day. Oh, that's such a good example, especially with like, I think the start line or like the expo of a marathon or a big race is like, put all of the most stressed people out in the world, like in one place and see what happens. Like everyone's, everyone's so nervous. Um, like anxious runners are just like a whole different level of anxious. <laughs> um, so that's super true. And, um, I was going to say, yeah, for, for those listening, like what are some signs that maybe our body image is like healthy versus yeah. What are some like signs that maybe there's a problem that we should work on? Yeah. So I want to be really careful to say that a healthy body image does not mean that you you feel fantastic about how you look every single day. Um, if you do, congratulations. That's amazing. I'm happy for you. I think mm -hmm. there are very few people out in the world who feel positive about their body image with no deviation from that at any time. So I think a healthy a healthy body image is one that's going to fluctuate, um, but it, it comes with an understanding from the person experiencing that, that it's normal for it to fluctuate and that it's not going to be fantastic every day. Um, and that it's, that it's a dynamic thing and a recognition that it could be influenced by things other than what your body is truly doing that day. And so like, um, I think I, when I came and talked to your runner group, I talked about the fact that I was a little rushed getting to Gina's office that day. And I was like trying on a billion outfits and like nothing really was working. And that was completely an artifact of me being stressed that I was late and wanting to impress your runner group and really had nothing to do with like my body looking different than it did the day before when I wasn't stressed out. Um, so I think that that aspect of expecting that it's going to change day to day or week to week or whatever it is, is an important thing to acknowledge about a healthy body image. Absolutely. I always tell people like a good relationship with your body and people can't see me, but I'm just using air quotes. Um, <laughs> um, it's like a practice. It's not really a destination. You just arrive at forever one day. Unfortunately, um, it's something you kind of have to work at. Um, and some days it's easier to work at it than others. Um, so in terms of like when body image is, unhealthy when it's kind of starting to leak into the rest of your life frequency of having those thoughts, like kind of what are some, um, I guess, red flags that we could put out there for people to be aware of who might be thinking that 
they have more bad days than good days. <laughs> yeah. So body image definitely becomes a problem if it starts to influence how you think about yourself in other spheres of your life besides just your physical body. So that's usually the first thing that we see is that, um, you know, on a day that you're having a, a bad body image day, quote unquote, um, that that starts to make you think you're not as good at other things in your life. So that because your uh, body image is not feeling good, you're not going to perform in your sport or you're less than at work or, you know, that it represents something more about you than just an ob objective data measure. There's like, we don't think about our blood pressure that way, right? Like, oh, I'm, my blood pressure is low today. Therefore it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So when body image starts to dictate how we feel about ourselves in other spheres of our life, um, that's one warning sign. I would say that that's becoming a, a more negative shift with body image. Um, I would also include that when body image starts to drive us to change our behaviors um, or becomes the primary motivating factor for things that we're doing, such as underfueling some of our workouts or not even workouts, um, but just like underfueling our days being human beings out in the world. Um, that's problematic because our fueling needs didn't change just because we're feeling differently about our body image. So if that's the primary reason that you're doing more training, more exercise or eating differently, um, that's, that's starting to become problematic. It's the body image is not what should be driving those choices. Yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Cause that's something that is a good segue to my next question, but also that I see a lot in my clientele where, yeah, it kind of affects their life as a human, but then also as an athlete. So like, what challenges do you see in particular for endurance athletes, um, when it comes to, kind of acting on some of those thoughts. Yeah. So endurance athletes, athletes in general, right. Are, um, we're, we kind of are taught that tolerating more distress is going to lead to benefit. And that's true in some ways in our sports. So like when we're, when we're doing a tough workout and we see some payoff there, um, I, I think people start to apply that mindset to like, if I restrict myself during the day and I'm a little bit uncomfortable because of that, that there's going to be some positive payoff. And that aligns with the way we think about sports in a lot of ways. Um, but what we, what we end up seeing is that it, it doesn't fit in this particular instance. Um, and so that people start going into their workouts, maybe under fueled, and then it becomes this awful cycle of like, you're under fueled. You don't perform as well as you maybe were hoping to or expecting to. It's a reflexive reaction to bring that back to that negative body image and say like, if my body were different, I would be performing better when really what's likely happening is that you've made some choices with your nutrition through the day in response to body image that have now impacted how you're performing again, could be in sport could also be at work, right? Like if you're not taking in enough nutrition to have your brain working well at a meeting, you might be out of it. You might not be as engaged as you normally are. And again, like if you're bringing that any kind of performance back and saying it's because of my body image, it's just going to feed this cycle where you're going to restrict more train harder and continue to see performance decline and then continue to think that it, if only you could change body image, this would be better. So it just becomes this really dangerous cycle. Totally. <laughs> um, everyone listening is probably like, oh, <laughs> yes, uh, can relate to that. And for, I think it's helpful too, to define like the difference between body composition and body image. And 
this is where I think the two, they, they kind of are married often. Um, especially if you do struggle with your body image, you might think, yeah, if I change my body composition, my body image will improve, which we know is not (laughs) always true. Um, so if you could talk about that a little bit, that would be great. And also just like putting that into context of what people think, again, air quotes, endurance athletes are quotes supposed to look like. Um, I think that's a really big challenge that people face too. Yeah. So when you start to talk about body composition, that's when I think you're moving the physical body back into that like objective data point space, which is really where it belongs. So like I said, you know, with something like blood pressure, you wouldn't like notice that your blood pressure was lower and make any kind of value judgment on that. Um, So when we start to talk about body composition, we are separating kind of the physical and the mental work that that exists for for our bodies. So like the, the body image work is very emotional, mental work. Um, and you can be working on body composition, um, typically with someone like yourself, who is a a, a dietitian who might be able to guide you around that. Um, but you can be doing that physical work. Um, and, and either you're not needing to do the work on the body image, if you're just able to focus on the body composition without a lot of big emotions around that, or you might be doing your body image work separately, um, but really trying to put body composition into that objective data point space, just like anything else, just like, Hey, I'd like my vitamin D level to come up. How can I make that happen? Um, and I think if you're able to separate that out into that space, it becomes a lot more manageable emotionally, a lot easier to think about and work with. And it also can highlight um, where your, where your body image work is, because sometimes body composition might be changing in the way that we're hoping. And people will notice that there's a huge distortion between what they're actually perceiving when they look at their body and then what's actually happening on paper. Um, so that for, that's actually helpful. Um, when we can catch it, like people might come in saying like, Oh, I expected to have all this, all these bad results with this objective data, um, based on how I was feeling in my body this week. And then lo and behold, like actually the data shows that things are going the direction that you would like. So, that just kind of proves the point that there's more to how we think about body image than what's actually going on physically with us. Yeah, I like I like that conversation. I one of my previous jobs was working in bariatric surgery um, before way before I started in my own practice. And um, it was it was very interesting to meet with people who had lost literally like a hundred pounds plus some of them several times. Um, and the big takeaway I took from that was that just because someone achieves the body composition, they've kind of been targeting. It does not mean their body image will be what they want. Um, I know a lot of those patients would find themselves in the same place mentally, even though they were in a much smaller body. Um, and that kind of just really goes to show that, yeah, working on body composition, like really doesn't always translate. (laughs) In fact, sometimes it very rarely translates to actual improvement of like self-confidence and body image. And that work really has to be done in conjunction with or on its own. Absolutely. And I also will add that, um, even like the way that you get there with changing body composition is critical too. And in something like a bariatric surgery where people are at risk for a lot of nutritional deficiencies going forward from that, I do want to point out that, um, the more nutritionally compromised someone is the more rigid, inflexible, obsessive, and distorted our thoughts about body image tend to become, which I think is one of the like coolest aspects of, of these kinds of like disordered eating, um, um, 
because people expect like things will just get better as, as this, as I go through these behaviors. Um, and in fact, things get worse and it becomes much harder to convince someone, like if you just nourish your body, things will actually feel better. It's like the biggest leap that I ask clients to take with me that, you know, I do promise the anxiety and the stress is going to feel lighter as we get you more nourished. It's absolutely counterintuitive to what someone's thinking at that point such a good point it is it does matter like if you're going through a pretty drastic change you're slashing calories you're going into like a big deficit in whatever way it it is very it's a stressful experience on the body no matter if you're achieving that through surgery medication lifestyle interventions um hardship like it's it does definitely matter um and that's yeah that's exactly the point so like in terms of um in terms of the athletic community when we do kind of have that elite athlete body composition that everyone kind of points to oh like that's what a runner is supposed to look like and i know a lot of people you know kind of think I don't look like that at all. You know, what am I supposed to do <laughs> with that? Um, can you talk or speak a little bit to how, like how representation, um, in like what a runner's body looks like can kind of help and just what people perceive in the media and how that can affect their mental aspect around body image. Cause I know, like we said, if you're at that start line and you don't really see anyone that looks like you and you're having a bad day, that can really exacerbate those thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that the media is starting to, to head in the right direction with more representation of athletes in various body types and sizes. Um, I think that for so long, we, we had this idea that people had to look a certain way to perform in their sport. And then to your point, we're seeing a lot of athletes coming out saying like, well, I, I actually really had a re pretty distorted relationship with food when I was at my peak training or when I was in college or, you know, I wasn't ever nourishing my body. So it's likely that for many of those athletes, if they had been nourishing their bodies in a better way, their bodies would not necessarily have looked the way that we kind of think bodies should look when they're in some of those sports. Um, and I would be really curious as we kind of hopefully move away from some of that messaging, like, will we, I think we'll start to see people actually performing better in bodies that look a little bit different than what we're expecting. Um, so I think, um, hope that the message from the media around what your body should look like to perform in your sport is super dangerous. And the only way to really stick it to the media, if that's motivating for people, um, is to do an experiment and, and try, see what your performance looks like. If you adequately fuel yourself and set yourself up with a great sports dietitian or, um, find some way to get very reliable information about how to fuel yourself really well. And that sometimes I tell clients like, just do an experiment with me for like a month and see what that's like and see how your performance changes. And I, I think people often find, and once again, this comes back to the, the physical work being different from the body image work, but people often find like, Oh, I'm actually performing a lot better, um, in my sport when I'm better nourished and perhaps when my body image is worse, um, but I'm, I'm performing mm. better. And that again, goes back to an unhealthy body image. If your body image is becoming the only thing that is important to your identity, um, that's certainly dangerous. And so if we can try to pull in other things that are your identity, like if athletics is part of your identity and you're seeing that as I feel myself better, I'm, I'm performing better. We can kind of capitalize on that and help use that to help us, um, take away the 
the magnitude that comes with body image and say like, how important is this really? Because look at all these other amazing things that you've been able to do. Um, even as you're doing this work on your body image, which might not be great, but here's all these other exciting things that are more fun to talk about and more fun to interact with than what your body looks like to you right now. Yeah. And I mean, even on that same, in the same coin, like I know when I put a question box up on my Instagram stories, um, about meeting with you and like what questions people had or comments, one of the ones that was repeated was like how, like any advice, recommendations, resources for grappling with, um, if you're an endurance athlete and you're trying to work on fueling yourself and you're gaining weight, um, like just, how to maybe stop comparing your current body to your previous body, your current performances to your past performances, especially because sometimes there is like a, it gets a little worse before it gets better <laughs> kind of timeline to that arc. Yeah. And I think to that point, like the the timing of when you're doing this work, if you have the luxury to, to do that, like I said, this is about recognizing some of these things first and um, depending on where people are in training cycles, you know, there's, I, I think you would recommend certain times to capitalize on certain aspects of, of nutrition and like what, when to do what basically. Um, but if you are in that space where things are getting a little bit worse before they get better, um, I think that's where having a good support group of friends and team members around you. So again, like I, I would really encourage people to look at sports dietitians, um, even if that's like some group coaching, um, but somebody who can continually put that back in perspective for you, um, and take a look at some objective data. So again, like during that worse before it gets better phase, if your weight's going up, you might also be seeing that your ferritin levels are going up or that your vitamin D level is popping back in range and checking out as many objective measures as we possibly can to show you that you're like, your body is, is actually healing and enjoying this nutrition. And for people who might've been in a restrictive cycle for a long time, um, the body is going to hold on to that, that nutrition as it comes in, it's going to store it and it's going to, um, need to trust you that you are going to continue to give it good nutrition before it's able to distribute all of that to some of the body composition changes that you want to make. Um, so I, I don't think there's an easy answer. Um, but I do think having a, a like-minded informed group of supportive people around you is one of the best ways to work through that. Yeah. I feel like that is extremely effective. It's just as effective as having not a great group of supportive people around you. That can also be very effective, but not in a good way. Um, <laughs> which I think is part of the, the good movements we're seeing in the running and endurance community is, is becoming more of a topic that's talked about. And I think in every running group that has, you know, 10 people in it who are naturally talented athletes who don't feel their bodies at all. There's one questioning that and kind of starting to have the conversations, which is good compared to there used to be like zero. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I even, I worked with, um, a college, um, runner who was the captain of her cross country and track team. And, um, she was working through some body image and, you know, relationship with food kind of stuff and getting her period back and, um, getting that a lot more consistent. She was doing great. She had a really good attitude about it. Um, and she's a healthcare professional too. Um, so I think that kind of helped her motivation and she was, you know, a good influence on the rest of her team. And one thing that she told me that I thought was so funny, cause it's so true. She was like, a lot of 
the girls on my team are starting to fuel before workouts and like eat more. And she's like, we're so much nicer to each other when we're fed. She's like, we're just, we're not cranky. Like no one's mad. Like she's like, it's just, it's a really positive experience that we didn't even realize was kind of like a vicious cycle before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The other thing about that worse before it gets better piece is, um, I get what I say to people a lot is like, you know how it feels to be constantly keeping yourself in the cycle of like, whether it's, you know, restriction and then maybe some overeating as a result of that restriction and then feeling guilty and then feeling that distress, like, you know what that's like. And the, our food patterns are often things that we've been trapped in for years, decades. Like if we start to make some changes, um, that's not going to change in two weeks. Like that it's going to think about how long you've been doing the things that you're trying to change and let that give some perspective to how long it might take. I'm not saying it's going to take decades, but, um, that, that it's only fair to expect that it's going to take a little while to see those positive results that you're aiming for and how exciting, because like I said, you know, you know, where you've gotten to and what you're doing and how you're feeling emotionally about that, but you have no idea what's out there for you. If you're able to take this leap of faith and, and try some different things. Yeah. I kind of use the example, like those fast runners who are underfueled in the running group that I talked about, like they might be even healthier, even faster if they used evidence-based sports nutrition principles. Um, so, you know, it's, it's good to take advice from professionals instead of those people, um, that maybe are just faster than you, or they look how you want to look because they're not, you know, they're a totally different human than you. Um, I was going to ask about timeline because that was a big question that came up too, is like, ask her how long this is going to take. But <laughs> um, I'm like, you know, I don't know if we have a concrete answer for that, but typically the longer it's kind of taken you to get to this point, you know, sometimes the longer it can take to, you know, get to a point that uh, feels a lot better, but that's not always the case. I mean, for some people, you know, it just kind of depends on their mental space and what they're ready to commit to as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I mean, that is, is such a tough question to answer. And I get asked that all the time by clients too. Um, when is this going to start to feel better? Uh, and a lot of that depends too, not just on like how long you've been doing these particular actions and behaviors, but also how big are the emotions around that? What was food culture and diet culture like in your house growing up? What is it still like in your household right now? Um, like what kinds, how often are family members coming down that might make negative comments. Um, how often are you hearing things like, Oh, you don't look like a runner. That's amazing that you did that. Like when you talk about your performance, it's one of the biggest comments I hear from people that are, is so frustrating. Um, so I think the therapeutic deep dive is very different than, than the physical deep dive. And, um, often the more work we do in with the therapy piece, the more work we find has to be done. Uh, but again, like it's, it can be so exciting if you can accept it because it, it's moving you to this whole new space and whole new awareness of yourself and how you think about the world. And, um, I know it's easy for me to say that, um, as the person who's helping someone go through it and not as the, the client that's actually in that moment, but, um, it is just, it can be so powerful. If you let yourself do the work, it can take you to places that you did not know you could access, um, so yes, I don't have, I don't have the answer that some of your people are probably hoping for like in three months, you will feel fantastic. Um, but I, I can promise that it will, the, this work 
will get you unstuck and, and move you to different places that you thought you probably could never quite reach. I think everyone wanted to hear like two weeks, but that, yeah. that answer works too. <laughs> um, no, it's honest. I love it. And actually that's a good segue to like, let's talk a little bit about triggers um, and like things that can maybe turn a decent moment into like some of those more negative thoughts that are from, you know, are very common from like your past or that you're trying to work through. Um, for, I think to kind of use the endurance community as an example, like I know a really big thing that can spiral people is race photos, um, or like looking at yourself in your, you know, race day outfit in the mirror before you head out the door. Um, so what can you tell runners or endurance athletes who do tend to do that thing where they kind of connect their performance to their appearance. Like if their performance went bad, they're like, Oh, well, I hate the way I look in pictures. That must be why compared to someone who's saying, Oh, I feel like I look really good today. So therefore I'm going to have a good performance. Like, can you speak a little bit to that dynamic? Cause I think that's probably speaking to people as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Uh, race photos are something I hear about photos in general hear about all the time. Um, and so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about photos and, and good ways to work with them. Um, but to your point about like how to, how to shift your mindset or, and, and not be bringing everything back to that, that body image piece and like letting that explain everything. Um, one thing I would say is think about how much emotional effort and energy you're putting into thinking about your body image and trying to perhaps change that. And what would happen if you took all of that energy and put it into other aspects of your training um, and how and how powerful that might be to improving your performance um, and what you might let yourself do or let yourself try if you took out that body image piece. So that this gets at like what's called acting as if so like what if you could just try out telling yourself today the body that I'm in right in this exact moment is fully capable of doing whatever it is, getting me a PR, hitting that training goal, completing my training cycle for the week or whatever that goal is. Like, what if you just let yourself believe that as a mental experiment and really tried to just do some thought stopping around as soon as that thought comes up, like, Oh man, like that interval was slower than I really thought it should be. Like, if you feel that body image thought coming up, like, okay, there it is. Like now let's put it over to the side and let some other thoughts come up. Like what else might be driving that? Like what else could have happened? Have you had enough to drink today? Um, did you take your salt tab? Is today the first warm day of the season in your area? Um, I think like so often the body image just becomes this self-punishing thing that we let like just mask all these other subtle differences that might be really affecting what's going on for us. Um, and so not just on like on, you can use it on race day, like tell yourself when you get to the start line, okay, I'm going to race this, this race as if my body is exactly prepared for what I'm going to ask it to do on race day. And you can apply that anywhere in your training. Just, um, it's, it's a, again, like a little mental experiment, a little bit of a mental game. Um, but people connect pretty powerfully to that, um, and, and can actually really make some big differences trying to take that mindset forward with them in training. Yeah. And I think the more you practice flexing that like positive or at least neutral self-talk 
um, the stronger that muscle gets. <laughs> um, and the more you practice flexing the negative self-talk, the stronger that muscle gets. So I know like when I talk to people about this, at least at first, sometimes it can feel really cheesy to like, you know, look at yourself in the mirror, say positive affirmations or try to avoid body checking. If that's something that works better for you in general, um, and kind of say, no, no, you're doing great, Holly, you're fueled for this workout. Like, you know, and try to use some of that self-talk. It feels kind of cheesy and forced, but eventually that becomes a bit more of your like knee jerk reaction, which is super helpful. Like there's so many studies on like positive reinforcement is more effective for people performing to their, you know, um, to what they're capable of compared to like negative reinforcement. Even when I did a VO two max test for a study at UNH, um, where I live, that's the university where I live last summer and VO two max tests. I don't know if you've ever done one, but they're terrible. They're so hard. Like they're basically asking you to max yourself out on a treadmill. And then they're pushing you even a little bit farther than what you think you're capable of to get the data. And they wanted good data because it was a research study. So they weren't telling me that I sucked and that I was terrible on the treadmill. Like the girls were great. They're like, Holly, you're doing great. You're doing really well. And it was very clear to me that it was um, like they were very intentionally timed statements. Like every 30 seconds, they were supposed to give <laughs> give me positive feedback. Um, and I just you know, and I did kind of, I reached my potential in the VO2 max tests, which is so funny to me. I'm like, yeah, even that like very simple, like, you know, show of, of that, you know, it, yeah, it seems kind of cheesy at first. They're telling you good job when you're running like really slow at the beginning. And you're like, thanks. Like, yeah, I am doing a great job. Um, and then towards the end, you're like, screw you don't talk to me, but it's still helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so, you know, if that translates to your own internal self-talk, also very helpful. <laughs> yeah. And you just spoke so much to like the, the other factors that make that mindset shift, right? Like when you're, you're running at an easy pace and you're like, yeah, I got this. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that crankiness, when you get up to that high level of exertion. Um, and that's what I mean by like letting ourselves think about like what else is driving our thinking about our performance besides body image. Um, I know for me, one big discovery I made was that when I start to have negative self-talk during races, I typically need salt. Sometimes it's some Sometimes it's a goo, but it's often salt for me. And that was a big discovery. And it's amazing. Like, um, you know, I go in with my race plan of salt every, you know, hour, 45 minutes. And, but sometimes I'll be like, man, I'm, I am like a mat mile eight of a half marathon. And I've just decided that I can't do this. And I was an idiot forever coming out and trying to do this. And why would I even think that this was something I could do? Um, if I pop a salt tab, um, even if it's earlier than I had planned to within like, 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, I got this. This is great. I don't know what I was worried about. Um, so it's so important and so powerful to start to recognize that it, this, the, the, whatever is making like the body image might be right where we land ourselves, but it, it's, it, there's so many things behind what gets us to that thought. Yeah. And if you had like a restrictive mindset where you taking the extra gel or taking something sooner than you thought you were allowed to was like a barrier, then yeah, you would have continued to feel bad. Um, so that's what I, I work with that on people too. I'm like, this is our plan. But like, if you have some of those like signs, which a lot of the times in a race is you feel terrible or like that really like that devil on your shoulder gets really loud. Um, and it's telling you to stop that can be a sign to fuel early, take extra salt, maybe some more water, um, to kind of quiet him down. <laughs> um, and if you just like are 
you know, not in a mindset where you're allowing yourself to have like an abundance of fuel that can, that can be a huge challenge and barrier for people where, yeah, you watch your PR slip away instead of just taking an extra gel or salt tab and then, you know, flying past people. Um, I love that example. So practical for endurance athletes. Um, that also applies to when you're sitting in your office at 3 PM hating exactly. work. Yes. <laughs> it's not just yeah. on the course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that would be helpful in terms of triggers is yeah. When we do have like actual other voices or people who are not maybe helpful or in the reverse who, you know, always congratulate you for losing weight or getting smaller when maybe the ways we achieve that are not always the healthiest. Um, what are your, what's some just like brief advice for folks who have a lot of anxiety going to see certain people, um, who they kind of know are going to challenge their new positive or at least neutral body image and self-talk. Yeah. A few ways to handle that. Um, one thing that people are probably going to want to throw their laptops or screens or however they're <laughs> experiencing this at me for, but, um, making sure you're well-nourished heading into those sessions is going to be important. So if you have a big family dinner coming up and you know that aunt Marge is going to make a comment about somebody's body, maybe your body, someone else's, um, you want to make sure you've had enough nutrition to handle that additional stress in your day. Um, Word. often like <laughs> you you might experience, you know, some people experience trouble eating in front of these people in our families. So we want to make sure we're setting ourselves up to still have nutrition on board through the day. Lots of people fall into the trap of trying to restrict before, you know, the big family meal so that they look a certain way in their Thanksgiving outfit. And, um, it just, it, it just makes things worse. It's hard to believe me when I'm saying that. Um, but it doesn't actually make your body look any different than it would. And it's just going to make you feel worse physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, when those comments actually come up, depending on the situation, there's a few ways that you can handle it. Um, one is just with like a very flat out, Hey, I don't really appreciate that comment. I'd prefer if we not really talk about food or, or body today. Um, for some people that works well, some people are find that really intimidating and, and don't want to implement that. I think the more that people do this work, the less patience that they have for those comments and they get a little <laughs> more comfortable saying things like that. Um, you can also like, if someone makes kind of a leading comment that, you know, is about weight. Um, but if you have room for this, you could say something like, you know, if they're making a comment about how you look, you could say something as simple as like, Oh, thanks. I love this blouse. And just like, make it not about that because they, you know, people, it's a weird thing in our culture that we feel so free to talk about what everyone looks like and make big assumptions about what everyone's doing with their nutrition. Um, so certainly con there's, you can take, you can use opposite action. Like if people are saying like, Oh man, like I, you know, I didn't really earn these sweet potatoes today. Like take an extra scoop. I mean, that's, that's how I deal with it now. And obviously this is my, something I, I work and see every day. So I have kind of a, I think a lower threshold and a sometimes more outrageous response, um, but, um, yeah, you can use a little humor. Uh, like I coming in my profession, like if people are making those comments, I will often say like, I don't appreciate body talk at the table and everyone like laughs at me. And, um, but it, it's, it, you can use a little bit of humor, but there's also that undercurrent of this is really what I need right now. And I don't appreciate that. Um, I think people are more responsive to that than people expect when they actually say it. Um, and if Aunt Marge's feelings get hurt, I mean, she was out to hurt everyone's feelings, so she can deal with that. Boundaries. <laughs> Boundaries are fun. Um, yeah, I know there's a certain conversations where, you know, I'm the dietitian at the table in my family. And like, I think 
just, I'm young. I'm underestimated. You know, I'm just a kid come, you know, from my aunts and uncles perspective. So whenever those comments come up, I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about the keto diet. I'm going to remove myself from the table. Um, you know, that can be a way to self-protect if you just can't, <laughs> um, cause it's not, you know, especially the person who's not a professional, like it's not your responsibility to fix everyone at the table. Um, you know, it's, it's your responsibility to protect your own energy. Um, in any way that you can. Um, I appreciate that. I think, I think that can be like, just the anticipation of that can be like one of the biggest, like, you know, sources of anxiousness, um, that I see in my clients, um, especially like around holidays or like summer barbecues. I know that tends to come up a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's a great point that removing yourself from that particular conversation, or in some cases, not going to the event, if you know that it's going to be, you know, relentless and mean spirited in a lot of cases, um, I I like that self-protect, like this is really hard work to do. And, um, it is, it is okay to set yourself up for success in whatever way that means for you. Um, and if, if that does mean avoiding things that, you know, are going to be triggers, um, certainly at least for a while, that's okay. And then building some strength and confidence around how to navigate those. Totally. I feel like there's like phases when you start to do this work, like the first phase is you don't really know it. You don't know, you don't know or recognize that there's a problem. And then the second phase is you're starting to recognize it in yourself. And then the second, the next phase is like, you start to see it everywhere else because it is everywhere. And you're like, I don't really know what to do about it. I feel like there's problems everywhere. You feel like everything's on fire, but you don't have a hose to put it out. Um, (laughs) and then eventually you start to feel more comfortable and have, you know, a certain level of confidence and responsibility and know that you don't have to fix everyone. You can kind of navigate those situations. They don't stress you out as much as they used to. Um, but it does, especially in the endurance community, um, itself, even like, I mean, I think in a greater population perspective as well, but in the endurance community itself, like a lot of like the misinformation out there around nutrition or around body image, it's so normalized that it feels like you're swimming upstream when you start to do this work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I also do think it's catch it catching though, the way that you described it, that runner that you're working with, that it, as other people see what you're doing, I've experienced that on my own team as well. Like people get curious, Oh, what's that gel? Or like, wait, what are you doing? You drink, what do you have over there? And, um, it, people do start to do some experimentation with you a lot of times. So that can be fun and cool and like really lend, um, like a sense of mastery. Like, Hey, I got everybody on the team to take a gel before we did this hard workout together. Like that can be really positively reinforcing. Um, and yeah, for, for those people that are just going to do their own thing and, you know, maybe you do start to recognize are very caught in their own restrictive cycles, absolutely putting on that mindset of that's not my business. I'm not going to, not going to fix them. Just like I wouldn't comment or like spend a lot of time worrying about what their training plan is. I'm not going to spend a lot of time worrying about how they're fueling because they're a different athlete than I am. And I'm going to do my own thing over here and see if this is what works for me. Um, instead of assuming that what someone else is doing is what should work for you. Yeah, that's a great point. I know it's so funny too, with the gel thing. I had, um, a friend who I used to run in a running group with, with a lot of those people who are really fast and talented, but they didn't fuel or hydrate or do anything properly. And they ran too fast on their easy runs. Um, but one of the friends in there, she took one of my courses. And then after the end, she was like beating all of us. She was like way faster than everyone. And I was like, look at her go, but also dang it. She's so fast. <laughs> I can't catch her now. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that leadership almost 
opposed to, yeah, just do your own thing. And sometimes people do catch on and then all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of the one with the greater hand. Um, it's super helpful for me too. It just kind of, and you, it just spreads outreach, which is helpful. (laughs) Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add, um, before we kind of wrap this conversation up? Yeah, I did want to just jump back to the pictures because I feel like I got distracted and went down another road, but that is such a good <laughs> one, race day photos. Um, and the some of the work that we do with clients around that is taking a look at the picture and trying to remember how you felt in that moment. Um, that can apply not just to race day photos, of course, but like if you're at a family gathering or a friend's gathering and there's a picture and you look back at it later and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really unhappy with how I looked. Um, try to think about how you felt in that moment. And oftentimes, like if you're taking a picture with a bunch of friends, hopefully that was a moment where you probably felt happy and comfortable. Um, maybe not if it was a, a tough day for your body image wise, but I think more often than not, we find that we didn't feel negative about how we were looking that day until we looked at the picture. Um, I use the example of a horrible race photo that my friend loves to whip out and show everyone. It's him running next to me, like absolutely killing it and living his best life. He has like literally two thumbs up in the air and I'm next to him just like absolutely dying. I look like I'm about to collapse. Um, and I had a great race that day and I used it to qualify for a national competition. So, um, it's, it's fun for me to use that example for people and look back and say like, yes, this photo is horrifying. Um, I was actually racing pretty well. Um, so like trying to be mindful of how did you look in those, in those, how did you feel in those photos? And then a lot of people can compare it to photos where they maybe are happier with how they looked in the image, but they might remember, you know, I had restricted really heavily that entire week and I was super anxious and I didn't feel good in my body, even though now looking at it, like that picture was okay, but it had taken so much mental suffering to get me to that picture. And I didn't feel good when I was there. Yeah. I love the way I look in that picture, but then I found out that the next week I broke my foot. Like, exactly. yeah, yes. I think that, that that's important too. Like sometimes, sometimes a good photos, you're in a good place. You're happy. And like, we love those photos because everything comes together, um, from a per- perception and physical aspect. Um, but yeah, I think it's important too. If you're, if you're constantly comparing like your current self-performance health to your past image, trying to remember, oh yeah, that happened and not totally look at it with rose colored lenses. That's super helpful. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I think the, I think the work you do is so helpful and so important and I want more people to find you. So where can people find you, your practice and everything that you have to offer? What do you have going on right now? Yeah. So our practice is Harborside Psychiatrics. Um, you can, we are at Harborside Psych on Instagram, we're harborside-psych.com. Um, so you can find us in those locations. We are primarily located, our physical location is on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Um, but we have folks who are licensed in various states, so we can um, treat lots of people throughout New England, certainly anybody in Massachusetts. Um, and we have therapy, dietitian services, medication management. And again, like as you start to dive into some of this work with body image, if you're finding that those big emotions are there for you, I would encourage you to connect not only with a dietitian, but also with a therapist who specializes in doing that work. Um, and as needed, somebody who can help with medication if that, if those big emotions are getting really overpowering, um, 
regarding our athlete programming, we um, are recently launched um, offerings for schools and coaches around raising eating disorder awareness, early warning signs. Um, and we can also offer that for like families and athletes um, in groups if, if they would like to do that. So um, that information is on our website and on the gram. So feel free to check that out. Oh, I love that. That's important. <laughs> um, yeah, guys go check her out. And, um, yeah, I want to ask you the end of the podcast question now. Um, I'm curious about your answer. So you're crossing the finish line of like best triathlon of your life. We're also going to say, Hey, you had some great race photos that you were really pumped about is <laughs> capturing the essence of the day. What song would be playing at the finish line to embody how you are feeling in that moment? Yeah. So I have to say, it's going to be one that people have said on here before, which I had thought of my answer before I listened to your episode with the Kirsten screen. Um, but Queen, don't stop me now, um, was my immediate knee jerk thought. And so I, um, I have to stick with that, even though I feel like, you know, a little basic that it's been now said probably three times on your podcast, but if Kirsten screen said it, I have to say like, that's pretty cool too. So (laughs) yeah, all the people who have said it have been very cool. So, and that is a great, great song. Um, I'm always like, I'm, I think that's maybe the only one that's gotten repeated. I'm surprised more of them haven't gotten, haven't gotten repeated. Cause some of them are really popular, like Timber by Kesha or like some really like big hit type song. So, um, yeah, no, I love that. That's definitely on my marathon playlist. (laughs) So, um, awesome. Well, Rachel, thank you so, so much for, um, bringing your expertise to the show today. This conversation I'm sure will help a lot of people. And I hope that they go check you and your services out as well. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Rachel, thank you so, so much for coming on today's episode of the podcast. It was very much appreciated. I hope you guys got a some good tips and tidbits, maybe some mindset shift um, light bulbs out of this episode. Uh, make sure you're reaching out to someone um, like Rachel or myself if you are looking for support with your body image and or nutrition. A lot of the times those go hand in hand, but they do need to be worked on as their own things, as we discussed in today's episode. If you are looking for support, I do have my next round of my group coaching program called the Strong Runner um, Academy Nutrition Group um, starting up in August. So feel free to join at the link in the show notes. You can visit hollyfuelednutrition.com slash group coaching and learn more about that group there. We definitely focus on body image. And I also think talking about these things, while it can be intimidating in a group setting with strangers is often extremely productive in a group setting of like-minded individuals working on the same things as you. Um, Like Rachel kind of said in the discussion, it just really helps you feel like you're in a community and like you're not the only person who has ever had these thoughts or struggled with these things. I find my um, Strong Runner Academy nutrition group um, members tend to do the best when it comes to body image and mindset shift the fastest over the course of the 12 week program because of each other. Um, it's really helpful to talk about some of this stuff in a group capacity. 
I'm not going to ask you to divulge all of your deepest, darkest secrets or worst thoughts ever in front of people you don't know, but it can definitely um, trigger some really interesting thoughts um, when you're learning from other people, including, you know, professionals like myself. So um, Rachel has come and spoken for that group program before and done a separate training on body image in addition to the one that I provide in the group. So if you're like, I want to focus on nutrition and fueling and understanding how much I need to eat to support my training and my life to improve my health, what you should be doing like before, during and after a run, what, you know, different types of runs you need to fuel differently for how to create a race day nutrition plan. And then in addition to all the body image and mindset stuff, like this is the program. This is why I designed it um, with you in mind. And this is why it has been running for the past two years. Um, so make sure you check that out. At the link in the show notes. Thank you guys so much and happy running.